What's going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to chat with Matt of the band Kublacon over Zoom video. Matt was born in Indiana, but raised in North Texas, and he talks about how he got into music. Started off on the drums in high school, was the drummer of his first two bands, ended up then becoming the singer, and that's when Kublacon formed. He talks to us about the first show that Kublacon ever played, which was a sellout show right across the street from his high school at a boys and girls club. He tells us about getting signed to Artery Recordings and kind of the bad experience that they had over there and then eventually signing with Rise Records and all about this new EP, which is called The Lowest Form of Animal. It would be amazing if you check out our YouTube channel and Facebook page. We've got a ton of interviews up there, video interviews with a bunch of different artists. Over a thousand interviews are up there. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channels, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, we would love it if you follow us there and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Kublacon. Our, our podcast is about you, man, and your journey in music. And we'll talk about the new EP you have coming out as well. Oh, sounds good. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so first off, why don't you talk to me about where you were born and raised? Uh, well, I was born in Indiana, but I really don't remember too much of that. I moved to Texas when I was about two or three, somewhere around there. Okay. And uh, that's all I really remember. I remember very few things about Indiana, but I was raised in Texas. So Did... that's that's where my grandma lived and everything, and that's where me and my mom moved. And Okay. I'm glad we moved there instead of stayed in Indiana, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Well, tell me about what part of Texas were you in? Was that in Sherman where the band started? Yeah, I was oh, technically okay. in the town next door. It was called Denison, but it's all it's all the same shit. We just we said we were from Sherman because Sherman was the county seat, and it just made more sense. More people knew where Sherman was than Denison. But looking back on it now, if if I would have known that the band would have gone a little bit further than you know what we had planned on, I would have just said Denison because. Once you leave Texas, nobody knows where the fuck Sherman is either. So <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I had, I had to check to see where it was myself. Um, yeah, it's, it's more real, north. Real it's north, town. right? It's like a border. Yeah, it's right, bordering, right on the what? Red River. Okay, in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Right on. So, what was it like growing up there? I mean, was it a small town? Yeah, it was. I think the population by the time I moved out was about eighteen thousand people. Wow, that is really so, small. Yeah, it was a trip. Really wasn't too bad, but it's growing. Things are booming. Mm-hmm. The more that Dallas starts to expand and they move the Metroplex northward, they're going to eventually build everything up to the Red River, I would assume, especially with them putting the new casinos in right across the river because that's just it's pulling oh. all kinds of money to those areas that really didn't have too much money to begin with. That's interesting, yeah. Um, and Dallas is massive. I have family there, and it's crazy to think like how big – like Dallas Fort Worth area is like, Oh yeah. Dallas is busting at the seams. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it could take you nearly over an hour. I mean, over an hour, right. To get across like from one end to the other. Yeah. It, it's crazy, man. I used to work and live in Dallas and I would on paper, my job was only about 10 to 11 minutes away, but it, it would be rare that it wouldn't take me 
less than 40 to 45 minutes to get to my job. Oh, wow. Just the traffic is that bad, huh? Yeah, there's just that many people on the road at all times. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, in Sherman or out the outskirts of it, what was uh, the music scene like? It was actually thriving, man. It was it was pretty crazy. We we had several little venues. We had a lot of national acts come through mm-hmm. over time, and uh, you'd be shocked, man. I, the first show that that our band ever played, we played at the Boys and Girls Club across the street from my high school, mm-hmm. and it sold out of three hundred people. So wow. like, but that was collective. That was Sherman, Denison, Southmade, Sadler, Durant, all everybody from Oklahoma coming down. Like it was a pretty, pretty wide group of people, man. It, it, people wouldn't think that there'd be like that, you know, but you go flipping over some rocks and there's a lot of bugs, you know? Yeah. And I mean, to, you said that was your first show to sell out 400 tickets. That's huge. Yeah. It was, it was a wild one, man. And that's, I'd been in two bands previously and man, we couldn't even get 10 people to give a shit about us. <laughs> but that was back when MySpace was a thing. So we recorded three songs under Kublicon first, and then we released those. And there were people all the way up into Dallas that were listening to that shit. And it kind of really? kind of set off pretty quick. And the, yeah, that first show, because we weren't even really going to play shows, but there was a little bit of buzz. So when we played it, we got on it with a couple other bands that had a pretty good draw out in the area. And yeah, I wish I still had the photos, man. They're probably somewhere lurking around, but it was... It was a wild time to see that first show. I was still in high school, man. Got out of class and went and played that show. Really? What what year in high school yeah. were you? I was a senior. Okay. But still, I mean, to to leave your your school and go across the street and play what a four hundred seater? Or four hundred capacity. Yeah, room? I mean it, crazy. It, Yeah, I mean it was like I said, it was a boys and girls club. It was two two separate rooms that were conjoined. And yeah, man. It was it was definitely nothing that any, we had expected because the VFW was the main place to play, and there was a band that was a pop punk band from from Sherman called Kid Liberty. Oh, they, I know that they, band. They were pretty, I know the name. Yeah, they were they were pretty big there for a minute, man, and they mm-hmm. they fucking packed that shit out in that VFW, and that was way bigger than the fucking uh, Boys and Girls Club. And we eventually migrated over to the VFW in Sherman and started playing there with them. Mm-hmm. And that's when things really started to crack off because we'd have, like I said, people coming from Dallas and Fort Worth driving an hour to come see us. And, you know, this was fresh out of high school kind of shit. So it was, worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, how did you get into music originally? Shit, man. Honestly, just jamming with some buddies. I had a, a friend named Ian that we'd always hang at. His house was kind of like the center point for everybody. And he had like a guitar and a drum set and all this shit. And, I'd learned how to play drums prior to that. I'll just play like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Led Zeppelin and shit like that. How, well, how did then, you learn uh, drums real quick? If you, I, I was touching that for I, a second. That was just self-taught. I, I had a, a buddy named Justin and he had some little old bullshit DW kit. And uh, he sold it to me for real, real cheap in high school. Mm-hmm. And I set it up in the, in the living room. And I was, that was back when iPods were a thing. Okay. And I just play with the iPod and I put the headphones in and just taught myself how to play it. Cause I'd always had rhythm. So it mm-hmm. wasn't too crazy. And this was before YouTube was a thing and any of that shit. So it was, it was a trip, but wow. I never got that good. I got good enough to join a band, but not good enough to where I could have sustained myself in a band. Uh, okay. So you were, were you the drummer in the first bands you were in? 
Yeah, first two bands I was in, I was the drummer. And then at the tail end of the second band, I got a microphone, and they started having me doing backup shit. Mm-hmm. But I kind of was shitting all over the actual vocalist until we switched. He was better at drums than I was, but I was better at vocals. So that's how that started. And then, uh, yeah, started Kubicon. Wow. And what was it like, you know, going from playing shows behind, you know, as a, as the drummer to now you're the, the front guy. Oh, it's the best, man. You don't have to carry anything. You don't have to, set <laughs> yeah. you don't have, to have a truck nice. to carry all the drum kits. Yeah. I, I definitely don't miss those days playing drums was, and it was in my opinion. It was so much more stressful, like the amount of stress that's on a drummer. Cause they're the backbone of the whole situation. Oh, yeah. The drummer's out of bad, time. the whole band's bad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's exactly. why. That's why I was saying. Like, there's, there's no way I would have made it in music if I would have stayed with drums. I would have never, never left Sherman. But <laughs> yeah, that's why we we outsourced our drummer from super far away. Man, he was about 15 minutes up the road into Oklahoma, and he was a oh, whole man. lot better than us. Crossing state so, lines to get your drummer. Yeah, man. I mean, he <laughs> he was actually he came to the first Kublacon show that we played. And that's how I met him. And oh, really? He was in a separate band at this point, and our bands used to play together because we were kind of similar styles. And, yeah, we basically just kind of roundabout scalped him because we were like, dude, like we're going to start playing Dallas and shit. We're going to start playing these other towns. Like, I know you want to do that, and your band isn't really doing that. So if you want to be our drummer, like, you can do both. And, you know, he eventually scooted out of the band he was in and, and – took Kublacon as the main band he was doing and then you know slowly started playing more in Oklahoma and then more into Louisiana and then to Kansas and the next thing you know we're doing tours and it's like pretty crazy shit man yeah wow wow wow. okay so like from high school did you I mean that show up being so big right out the gate and having these songs on MySpace like how did the MySpace thing happen it was just was one of those things that landed in, in the days of MySpace? Cause a lot of bands came out of that era. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 37. So I know MySpace. Okay, I, I can then, even yeah, do yeah, you a Friendster. You... Let me tell you about that one. Ooh. See, that was a little <laughs> before my time. But yeah, I mean, it was, we had the whole coded layout and all the, the, you know, the cool thing where you could share the music to the page and all that. And it was, it was pretty trivia. I remember a right solid before, top eight. Oh yeah, man. We, we, <laughs> we had all our friend bands that we used to play with. It was like a band from Oklahoma called Shag Harbor. Uh-huh. It was, uh, our dudes in never in ruin. They were from Dallas and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a nice time for music, man. It was a lot more fun. It was a lot more, you know, laid back. Like it's just, I look back at all these, dudes that are starting out now and doing these tours that are in their early twenties. And I'm like, dude, like, fuck, they're having fun. You know what I mean? And it's like, we're doing great <laughs> tours now and getting paid a lot. And I'm just like, like an old man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, so the, from the MySpace page, you know, to kind of, you know, building the band up, what would you say like your first big moment for aside from, you know, having a sell for your first show, that's huge. But what would you say like the well, next? Well, that that first sellout show was a fluke, man. That I don't want you to think that we just kept playing sellout shows. Like that was our big bust, and then you know we'd go play in fucking Tulsa for six people. 
But you know okay. what I mean? It was, yeah. we had but a lot of home town support that and way. all that. But it, that was one of those things. Like I remember we fucking played a show in Oklahoma and we had a couple t-shirts. We had no table and we ended up stealing a table. We were playing in like a school or something like that. It was some kind of like theater arts center. We stole a table from them and that table was our merch table for like the next like four years. <laughs> and you had just taken it with you? Yeah, and I mean that table, I'm pretty sure it went all the way up to Seattle with us at one point. Like it's, it's it was just the whole it's thing. It's got some road miles. That's band. funny. Oh yeah, like we never planned on any of this, and there was never like a yeah, we're gonna do this and we're gonna get big. It all just kind of just like tripped over itself, and the next thing you know, it's like it just kind of happened. It's like it's like getting somebody knocked up is the best way to describe like how this band came about. You know what I mean? None of us had a plan. We still don't have a fucking plan. <laughs> we're just kind of doing it and we've, we've learned a lot along the way and we know how to orchestrate ourselves, but it's like, yeah, man, we should have never gotten as far as we have. That's for sure. But it's all just been hard work and, and doing it. Cause we, we, we've had the same team forever and we're not one of those bands that, you know, goes pulling favors or goes fucking asking people for shit. If we can't do it on our own, we just don't do it. Mm-hmm. That's why it's, it's taken us a lot longer than some bands, but at the same time, like, I think it's, uh, I think it's a lot better, man. Yeah, I mean, you guys are signed to Rise Records. You've had, you know, multiple albums. And I'm I'm curious, like, what was it like when you f- signed that first deal with Artery Recordings? Like, you know, being this band from, you know, a smaller town in Texas to now you've toured and you're, you know, you have a record deal. And that's, that must have been a big day, big, big day for you all. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, and that's about all it was. I mean, it was, it was one of those things that was nice to be able to tell everybody back home, like, yeah, look at us, man, all, all you guys coming out, like it was worth something, like we got signed, we did all this. And then that label just fucked us up. So it's like, oh, labels so? are okay. bullshit, man. Yeah, they're, I didn't give a fuck about that label, man. They they didn't give a fuck about us. You know, it's, it's and that's what I've tried to tell a lot of dudes in younger bands, is like, don't, you know, follow your nose. Don't sit there and and think that these people have your you know, best intentions in mind or that they really want to help your band. Like they just, the bottom line is, is money. If they can't make money off your band, they're not, they're going to use you up. They're going to wring you dry. And then it's just every man for himself. And that's exactly what they did. And that's why I'll, anytime I get an opportunity to talk about it, I don't, I don't, I don't get very excited about that first record deal. Cause they didn't give a fuck. Okay. Well, I'll move past it. I'm sorry. I didn't some trauma there. Yeah. I'm that's horrible. Trying. Yeah, I'm not trying to make it seem like you like did nothing wrong, and I don't give a fuck. I just it's just one of those things. Like it's that's the reality that people need to hear. They don't need to hear like, oh man, it was all champagne bottles and getting laid every night. Like they, it, <laughs> it, it, it almost destroyed our band. Wow. So, was it just like? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to stay too long on it, but now I'm kind of curious because you, you have been Dude, open as many about it. As you want, I'm an open book. Wow. Yeah, I'm just curious. Like when when you say that. It, like, what was it that kind of turned you off to it? Was it like them, you know, fronting a bunch of money and then kind of being like, now you guys owe us all this cash? Like, I mean, I don't even know where to start with something like that. Well, just for an, a band just, listening, you know, like, okay, I thought, you know, I thought I wanted to sign this deal, but then like, was it like a bad deal? Like, did they own your masters? Like, how did it kind of screw yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of that stuff, man, it's just, we became a very well-oiled machine. And we mm-hmm. still are. And that's that's one thing that we hold really close. In my opinion, we didn't need that label. All They, they kind of just put us on the back burner. 
like whenever whenever our second record came out which is i'm pretty sure the worst selling record that we ever put out they they were motherfuckers that were like our actual fans that were like yo we didn't even know this was a thing we didn't know you guys had a record and i'm like yeah you know why they didn't promote us they didn't do shit oh wow they didn't yeah they didn't give a fuck and it's it's one of those things like you know people it's not it's not necessarily anybody's mo to give a fuck but if if you're making money off what we're creating you goddamn better well give a fuck you know right you would think that they would want to put you in the in front of the right people i mean you had a record that you know alternative the first record you put out looks like alternative press gave it you know one of the best albums of 2014 so far list like i mean that's huge and alternative press especially i mean they're still a massive outlet but to have people that many eyes on you in like 2014 when you know the thing was it could you know juggernaut in the in the industry like that, that you'd feel like that would set you up and they would be stoked to like really push the next record, but then to kind of just forget that's yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole thing is the, the inner workings of that, that particular situation were just very, I don't even know how to just unorganized and just sure. not just the, their head wasn't in it. And it's that, and my opinion is like, yo, that's, that's all good and well. Like you, mm-hmm. you run your ship how you want to run it, but I don't want to be chained to it. Right. And that's unfortunately what, what, what happened to us. We had to put out that other record with them. And by that time the, the label was already sinking. The guy who we knew that, that ran it and shit, he'd already bailed out. He dumped it on some other motherfucker. <laughs> and that guy, uh, he did what he could, I guess. Hear me? Uh, you cut out there for a second. I heard you say he did what he could, I guess. And then you let in. Yeah. My AirPods just died. So I just got you on speaker now. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, he did what he could. And I mean, he came out to one of our shows in California and, uh, he tried taking all the credit for it. He like was talking to me and shit and was like, Oh man, I'm just so glad. Like all this happened. Like we're doing so good. Like all this stuff. Like, is there anything we can do for you guys? And I just told him straight up. I was like, bro, you're fucking up. as like, you're not, you're not helping us out at all. Like, mm-hmm. why, why are you talking to me like this? Like you, you fucking came in here and saved the situation, man. I was like, look around at this show. Look at how many motherfuckers are at this show. It's fucking nobody. I was like, we're not in a position to be fucking, like I said, like popping champagne bottles and acting like this is some shit. Uh-huh. Like you got handed a sinking ship and I'm not, I'm not going to go down with it. Sure. And, and it and, sounds like you only had a two record deal. So at that point you guys could just what, wash your hands of the whole thing and, and start over or yeah, not start much. over, but you know, carry on your, your way without having that, you know, anchor on you. Yeah. Our, our, our manager's super good. He's, he's great to us. And he helped us really kind of avoid, you know, what was supposed to be certain death because every other band on that label, man, I don't even know what the fuck happened to them. I know they got and, acquired by like Warner or something at one point or, you know, yeah, I, yeah I, I think maybe they just bought them and dissolved everything out. And I mean, I have no idea what happened on that end, but cause you were on part, it was a part of razor and tie, I think. Right. Originally with like fearless and there's, yeah, there's a bunch of bands I think, or a, there was like a umbrella of like a lot of those label, like similar, you know, labels to artery. And then I don't know what happened. I think maybe that one just kind of went under or got bought out or I have no idea. I couldn't tell you either way. They, it was very unimpressive. 
on yeah. our end. It's like, ah, whatever, man. All that, all that hype that had been built up in my mind and all the stuff that I thought was going to be so great. I just got a real dose of reality and I don't regret it at all. Cause we needed that reality check to keep us on our toes and be like, Hey man, nobody's going to give a fuck about your band. Like you are. So quit, quit thinking that other motherfuckers are going to come in here and magic's going to happen. Cause sure. we just reverted back to our old grind and that's where we've been ever since. I mean, even, even with uh rise and stuff like that, like they've been a whole lot better to us. But if I'm being a hundred percent honest, like, I don't, I don't particularly know who even is at the label now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask just, you, were you skeptical when it came to signing another deal? Yeah, I'm always skeptical, man. And that's, that's one of the things. If, if, it's just the reality of the situation. If people get offended about it, that's, they're, not, they're not too deep in this industry, man. Every, every person that I meet, unfortunately, I just kind of just, I don't know. I kind of treat them all the same just because, like, proof's in the pudding, man. And that's, that's why we work with who we work with, because those mm-hmm. are the few people that I think actually have our band's, you know, best, uh, best interest, best foot. you know? Yeah. 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 It is what it is. Rise is doing just fine for us. So it's like, don't fix it if it's not broken, you know? Right. They're a great label. I mean, I have, I know a lot yeah, of friends that are bands are on their label and yeah, I mean to be but the whole, the whole point with that is just like I said, like that was part of the selling point for us getting on rise was they're like, Hey, this isn't like a band that needs to be built. This isn't a band that, you know, needs a whole bunch of shit. Just let them do their own thing. Let them, let them continue the formula that they're going on and just promote them and just do your, do your shit for them. And then there'll be a nice little egg in the pocket. You know what I mean? So right. that's kind of open. Cause like I said, none of us are geared that way. None of us think that way. So it's like I said, I, I couldn't tell you, who who all's on the staff there because they don't talk to me i don't talk to them it's there's uh-huh. a big disconnect there because we're just very different people with very different mo's and shit like that so i don't know that's if if i were talking to anybody that's younger about something like this it would just be you know just fucking watch your back and just do your own work don't 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 have somebody else come in and, and sign all your checks for you you know just do it all yourself mm-hmm yeah, no, that's great advice. I'm, I'm going to ask you a similar question, or I'm going to ask you pretty much the same question at the end of this interview because that's always how I end it. But I'm, I'm curious, like when it comes to you know, you get on Rise, and I'm sure you got a, what they, they looking at some of the tours that you've done and in, in, in tours that you one that you currently are are going to start here pretty soon. Um, you know, it looks like they kind of hook you up with some of the bands that they have on their label, and that must be you know nice to to tour with similar artists and and and, and bigger artists. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, and we're not picky really when it comes to tours. We'll tour with anybody and everybody. We, it's what we've usually done. And yeah, I mean, as, as far as touring with bands on the same roster, like that's always a good thing, you know, mm-hmm. business is business any way you want to look at it. And if, if it, it kills two birds or one stone to have both of us on the same package, fine with us. I just want to be <laughs> on the road. I don't give a fuck who it's with or who who's, you know, taking care of all of it just as long as it happens. Sure, sure. Was it difficult? I mean, obviously it was difficult, but what was it like coming into 2020? You guys had put a record out in 2019. Were you able to, you know, really tour and support Absolute? Or was it something that was released and then months later, the, you know, 2020 hits and everything shuts down? 
Yeah, I mean, we didn't really get to do a whole hell of a lot off of it, which is whatever, you know. I don't think anybody particularly expected this situation to happen, but it was a real kick in the nuts. Yeah. But, I mean, it's 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 one of those things, man. Like, you just can't, can't let it disrupt the formula. Like, mm-hmm. just, it's an unfortunate situation, man. And I, it's one that I think could have been easily you know, circumvented, but I don't make the rules. So. Sure. Sure. Would you, what about with this, like, well, with the new EP, was that something that had been started uh, after 2020? And, and, and did you guys work on that? Like, you know, within the past two year and a half, or was the record something that you had kind of going and then 2020 happens and then you're like, okay, now what? No, nah, we just wrote it in the middle of the panic. Cause that's the thing is we don't really write music. Like we, we don't like, we don't have stuff that we have done. Like we, we go to the studio with some like vague ideas and we just write these records in the studio. So that way it's just, there's, there's no big, long drawn out process. It's oh interesting. It, most of it happens within a matter of a week to two weeks. You know? So you just, what, have ideas that you guys come and go, okay, we have a handful of ideas. Let's book some studio time and go in and see what we can turn out. Yeah, that's literally been the last four records. Wow. Fucking go in here. We got a a little couple of riffs and an email, and I have a couple of ideas for some lyrics, and then we just fucking go for it. But we've had the same four guys for so long now that they the chemistry is just there. We know our sound. We know exactly how to create what we want to create. So it's, it's, it's a pretty streamlined process. It's not, it's not one of those things where we got to just pick our brains and go fucking crazy. Like we have those moments for sure, but it's like whenever we wrote absolute, we wrote that record in about a week and a half. Like, yeah, we came to the studio with about two and a half songs and even those two and a half got, you know, really chewed up and manipulated and changed in comparison to what they were when they were brought in. So it's like, I don't know. I know, I know a lot of bands that they'll spend a year to six months writing a full record. And it's like, we just don't, we can't do that. The only album we ever did that with was the one that was the least successful record we've ever done. And then the most successful record we've ever done, we wrote it in a week. So it's like, wow. it's just, the way that we operate it's just better if we just go in and give all our time and just write it all at once rather than try and drag it out over time. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you guys, it sounds like you have a formula where you you have some stuff and then you can go in and actually focus on writing the record together. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we know our sound. We know what people want to hear. We what know, you know, we know what we want to do and you just do it. There's, there's, there's no, no big secret to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But a lot of bands can't do that. I mean, I, I would imagine it being hard if it was me, I'm not a, a songwriter or anything, but like going into the studio and being like, okay, we have this time booked. Like, what are we going to do? I would, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are probably thinking like, well, like I have to go in there like ridiculously prepared and know exactly what we're going to do. And, and, you know, it, it, and have everything really, you know, in a, have all your ducks in a row, but to go in there and just kind of write and create, that's really an interesting way to, to do it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's and it's definitely not the the I don't know if normal is the right word, but it's it, it it's different strokes for different folks. There's sure. there's a lot of bands that couldn't do that, and there's a lot of ways that other bands write that we functionally couldn't couldn't do it. Like mm-hmm. we just the four of us together are better than just striking while the iron's hot, and that way we can pump out a lot of stuff when all the ideas are very warm. But like. Yeah, if we came in the studio with 20 fucking tracks, I'd be like, no, we're not doing this. Like, that's just too much. Like, streamline this shit. Pick out fucking four and focus on those. Like it's, And we've never done that. We've never written that way. Like, the closest we've done to that is probably a month or two before we go to the studio, we'll start telling our guitar player, Nolan, like, hey, start writing riffs. And we'll just have email after email of, like, think last record for the one we did for the ep we had like 40 or 50 just little looped riffs just here's a chuggy one here's a fucking stringy one and then we usually will find about three riffs that that complement each other and that's the whole song then you're done you just stick yeah. them together you find the transitions you you make it cool lyrically you do all stuff but if people really break down our music and listen to it it never goes above about two to three riffs they're just played differently on the drums or they're muted on the guitar this time, or well, this time it's just bass. Like mm-hmm. it's all the same shit, man. You know what I mean? It's, it's really, <laughs> really simple stuff. And, but that's how we've kind of carved ourselves out is we never had a second guitar player. We were never able to have intricate leads or other stuff. We had to just focus on, well, what can we do rhythmically? Mm-hmm. that's exciting. So that's what we did. We just treated the bass player like it was a second guitar player and just focused everything we have on the groove. I love that. I love that. And the song, the most recent one you guys put out, Swan Song, you've got uh, the singer from Terror on there. Yep. Tell me about that. How how that relationship form, and how is it getting Scott on the song? I mean, it was badass, man. He's a cool-ass guy. Like, we, uh, we supported them on a tour, uh, a while back, it was, it was before the pandemic and shit. Okay. And, uh, at that, we were on tour with them when the pandemic, when the lockdowns, I guess, started. We we. Oh, you're on the road. Shows. Yeah, we played two shows in the lockdown. Like the country <laughs> oh, was wow. Down. Two more days, we still played shows. How did that and then happen? The whole world shit. Uh, just fucking promoters being like, "Yeah, we have to pay you, and we're not gonna not." have these shows because otherwise I'm not paying you out of my pocket. So, you know, not naming any names or saying any stuff, but it's just like, just stuff happens. You know, we were able to find the shows and play them still and kind of, you ever seen Independence Day when yep. they're trying to spaceship out of the, the bigger spaceship and the doors closing and they make it out right at the last second. That's what <laughs> yeah. it's okay. Uh, were you, um, well, I guess I don't really want to ask exactly where you were at in the country, but once everything started closed that were any, was, like, did you know you sold a certain amount of tickets and not that many people were at the show? Like, did you see any of that? Those, especially with those last two. They were still fucking cracking off, man, because motherfuckers oh. were freaking out that they weren't going to be able to go to shows. That's a good point. The, the state we were in was one of the first states to shut down, but I don't think it was the first. And whenever people were getting told, like, hey, you know, two weeks to slow the spread, we're gonna do all this bullshit, people were just like, well, fuck, I'm going to be stuck inside for two weeks. Let's fucking let's go out and do some shit. So they were still crazy good shows and all that stuff. And then two weeks turned into two fucking years. And then here we are. 
Right. I know. It's been wild. It's been wild. Well, it looks like you guys have done some shows since, you know, since people, you know, since shows have kind of came back, right? Oh yeah. We were one of the, one of the first bands in a lot of these areas to tour back because when we did the first tour back that we did, I think it was in August. Uh-huh. Motherfuckers August. were telling us. There, oh wow. There August, was, 2020. Pretty sure it was. Don't quote me on it. Cause I'm not good at fucking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I won't. I'm just, yeah, that's like, uh, but it was something like that. It was a while uh-huh. back, but yeah, like a lot of the venues we were playing, the same people that were coming out, their last show was us with terror for the shutdown. And their first show back was our headliner in the same city. So it's like, it was like, we just basically weren't going to let it stop for us. This, right. As soon as it was the green light, we were like, yeah, we're going to go back on tour. Like we didn't want to stop in the fucking first place, but here we are, you know? Mm-hmm. And now you're going to hit the road again, which is, this is a huge tour you're doing coming up and you're starting here in Nashville. I'm in Nashville. I'm originally from San Diego and I saw you're playing Soma too, which is a killer venue. Uh, this looks like a pretty uh, amazing tour. Yeah, man. It's going to be a good one for sure. It'll be, ooh, excuse me. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be one for the fucking memory books, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And then the record's coming out April 1st. So you guys will yep. be on tour when when the album comes out yes sir i think that'll be the second day first day i think is in nashville yeah it is yeah so you play day one in nashville brook and bowl and then you're playing st louis as the you know record comes out yeah do you, do you guys do anything fun. like different or special for like a record do you do like the release is it like a release party or is it just like hey we're here in st louis and the record's out today <laughs> yeah we've never had like a release thing it's just whatever city we're in we just there it is you know what i mean yeah we just put it out and it's a lot different now because with streaming it's Mm -hmm. like motherfuckers aren't driving in their car to the record store to go buy the new kublacon record like they'll just put it on their phone and listen to it while they jog you know right right it's a whole lot simpler to to have a release now and it be just worldwide so it feels pretty pretty good on that you know we'll probably have some barbecue or something if we're in st louis to celebrate but mm-hmm. yeah it'll, it'll be good man i'm, I'm <laughs> excited about it i got high hopes it's just an ep we'll see where 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 it goes to but it's a it's a good tour to be releasing it on mm-hmm. and uh see where it takes us that's amazing well thank you so much man for doing this i appreciate it man yeah i appreciate your time and your conversation and uh it's been nice man yeah i got one more one more for you before i let you go yeah sure if you have any advice for aspiring artists Oh man, let me think for a second, because like there's always the stupid fucking cliche answers, of just like oh follow your dreams. Because <laughs> really, if anything, one thing I would tell these motherfuckers straight up, and is this is something that that now I'm only just now doing, but I wish I would have done ten years ago, is focus on the band, like put your fucking balls into it and really make it work but lock down a fucking trade or something too like a career because like that was the silver lining of the pandemic was i had never had enough time to get a real job i'd only ever done construction and other shit like that because that's all i could do so it was kind of like you know i came out of the lockdown with a barber's license 
and now I can fucking work anywhere I want, wherever I want, and it's fine. I have a career for the rest of my life now, and it's going to make having the band a lot easier. So that's one thing that I feel like motherfuckers don't tell you that really helps is, like, focus on your band, but also focus on your future, because you could end up like me 10 years down the road whenever the fucking world shits the bed, and you get told your tours are done, so your income's over, and you start bagging groceries at Kroger. <laughs> no shame in that. I did that yeah. and there was no no shame with it like I said I'll work any job ever but it's like it was a wake up call and a reality check that I desperately needed and now I'm working on getting my second license with a, a tattoo apprenticeship so just as long as these motherfuckers just don't stop working I'm good <laughs> <laughs> 